coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Monday to you, although it's like a gray, rainy kind of day and some cooler weather heading in for the weekend. Uh, okay, here for that. Let's start with some breaking news, however. We had a, a partial crane collapse in Midtown Atlanta at the intersections of Spring and 10th Street. We uh, understand that there are some non-life-threatening injuries that occurred as a result. And uh, as of 3 o'clock anyway, APD was advising folks to avoid that intersection, which is not easy to do. That's one of the uh, exits off of the downtown connector into Midtown Atlanta or if you're heading to West Midtown or Georgia Tech. Again, that's a partial crane collapse where they're building a, a new apartment tower at the intersections of Spring and 10th Streets in Midtown Atlanta, just off the downtown connector. Again, as of 3 o'clock, well, this occurred around 3 o'clock, and as of a little after 4 o'clock, APD is still advising folks to avoid that intersection if possible. So uh, keep that in mind. As you're heading home today, maybe clear it up. Then again, i got to be honest with you. When Siri tells me to take Spring Street, if I'm coming from, say, Buckhead or anywhere in North Metro, if Siri's telling me to take Spring Street, she and I are going to agree to disagree. Between uh, Spring Street and all the construction that goes on there, there's always scaffolding into the street. The uh, city of Atlanta, unlike a lot of major cities, lets these uh, building uh, permits bleed over into the street. And so Spring Street is always a, a bit of a... Left to right, weave and bobbin. It's a one-way street. Juniper, of course, getting resurfaced now. And so Juniper being the alternate route for those who might normally be told by Siri or Waze or whatever to take Spring Street is also a bit of a mess. So what, the downtown connector? Eh. We're going the other way, going east, Moreland? Ugh, Moreland. Ugh, don't like that at all. <laughs> that stretch that leads you past 10th Street and Midtown High School. Ugh, no. And, and then you get to Ponce, where the Chick-fil-A construction, can you believe this? We're in one of the top 10 metro areas in the country, Atlanta, an international city, and the construction of a Chick-fil-A has eaten up two lanes of traffic on Ponce to Leon Avenue. So, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we had mass transit like that got you from point A to point B, or at least had a steady grid that got you where you needed to go on a day like today. I digress. So at this point, we are less than 10 days away from the projected date that the United States would begin defaulting on its debts. Not future debts, past debts, debts that have already been incurred, debts that have already been signed for, and the nation has promised to repay. Which just tells you that while raising the debt ceiling was an NBD, no big deal, when Donald Trump was president, did it three times, no conditions. It's a VBD or a BFD, in the words of Joe Biden, two presidencies ago, to Republicans now. In 2022, the GOP ran on a campaign, a unified campaign of fixing the economy. The, the economy that appears to be in pretty good shape anyway, despite their obstruction and their attempts to sabotage it. We keep getting good employment numbers week to week, month to month. Inflation 
is shrinking. Now, don't get me wrong. It's still growing, but it's growing at a fraction of the rate it was a year and a year and a half ago. And that's actually a good thing too, because you don't want to have a sudden burst of negative inflation because that belies some real problems in the economy as well. You hear all this talk from economists about a soft landing, where instead of hitting a recession, the economy just kind of glides to cruise control. And yet one way or the other, it seems that the Republican Party is hell-bent on derailing the economy instead of what they ran on in 2022, fixing the economy. The problem is they're creating a problem that doesn't exist, and the two options are ruin it this way or ruin it that way. Literally, those are the two options the GOP is giving President Joe Biden and Democrats in Congress. You can let us go into default, ruin it that way, or take these draconian spending cuts that we insist on and ruin the economy this way. And by the way, not a dime of the GOP's projected cuts are in defense. Defense. We spend like $800 billion plus on national defense. Not a dime to be cut there unless they can figure out how to pull back some money from the Pentagon that was earmarked for the war in Ukraine. We'll talk about that in a little bit. No, in fact, the reason the cuts are so draconian is because defense isn't touched. It means about a 13% cut in all other departments throughout the federal government budget. Let me simplify this for you. If you ran a barbershop or a hair salon and you found out that 13% of your town's population, and you got all the business in that town, 13% of your town's population we're going to move to some other city in some other state halfway across the country, meaning they're gone, not being replaced in the near future. If you found out that 13% of your business was going away in the foreseeable future, would you be bullish on your personal economy? Would you be looking to spend or hire someone else to take on additional business inside your barbershop or hair salon? course not. You'd be looking to cut back. That's right. You'd be looking to cut back, which means fewer supplies, which means your supplier has to deal with those cuts. And that affects who they spend with. And that affects who those people spend with. That's how you derail an economy that is on a razor thin edge when it comes to succeeding or receding. And the GOP knows this. They know that they don't have the White House. They don't have the Senate. But they know that tanking the economy can make the party in charge of the White House and Senate look bad. And as Senator Chris Van Hollen said over the weekend on This Week with George Stephanopoulos. And Republicans won't accept one penny in deficit reduction from closing tax loopholes. <laughs> the farce of this whole thing is that under Donald Trump, we raised the debt ceiling three times. Yep. 40% of our national debt actually yep. was accumulated during the four years of the Trump administration. And now, and now they're not willing to talk about any revenue from very wealthy people as part of this effort. And, and, and not just revenue from very wealthy people, but how about revenue from people who'd like to become Americans? Yeah, I know 
doesn't always dovetail to immigration, but it kind of does in this case. We already have a labor shortage. And as the aging population of this country outgrows the earning population of this country, it's going to continue to be a problem. In fact, it's going to grow. Economists have projected this out decades. It's going to grow. So where do the new wage earners come from? Well, they're trying to come from wherever they can. And we can't have any of it. Listen, make no mistake. The party that wanted to essentially derail our peaceful transition of power, our Democratic Republic on January 6, 2021, are just as eager to derail our economy and the global economy as well. I hate to say what seems obvious now, but the right has become a party of anarchists. They certainly don't want more laws, especially when it comes to guns, unless the more laws are about what you can do when it comes to your healthcare decisions. I mean, that's fascism, right? Never mind that during the Clinton years, the Republican Party threatened default and shut down. Then in the next presidency, when they had the White House, George W. Bush, they tripled the national debt. Then during the Obama years, Republicans went right back to it, threatening default and shutdowns. And then the next presidency that they controlled, Donald Trump, they added another $7 trillion, 40% of our current debt, to the tab. And now here we are, Joe Biden's president, not a Republican, and the GOP has gone right back to threatening default and shutdown. I mean, look, Americans, if you're keeping score here, Republicans don't want you to have affordable access to health care. They do want you to have unfettered access to semi-automatic weapons, which makes you're not having health care if you're a victim of someone with a semiotic weapon a bit of a problem. They are okay with shutting down the government, defaulting on the debt that they're largely responsible for, and against growing revenue by closing tax loopholes and by doing the responsible thing and letting some immigrants in when we got room. In Atlanta, we say, go away, we full. We not full in Wyoming or Montana or Nevada or New Mexico. We not full in North Dakota or South Dakota. We not full in Idaho. We got room. We already got a labor shortage that's only going to get exponentially larger in the coming decades. We can do this. We can grow this country. A lot of us are big fans of these post-apocalyptic TV series and movies where we don't always get to find out How did the American society or human society get there? We're seeing it unfold, y'all. The institutions of government are under attack. Public education. Hell, the FBI. We can cherry pick about that, too. Oh, the FBI is such a problem because they went after Trump. They're not such a problem because they didn't pay any attention to the Brett Kavanaugh investigation. There wasn't a whole lot of noise from the right about Comey derailing the Clinton investigation. Oh, but oh, they were political towards Trump. Well, Chris Ray is the FBI director that Donald Trump put in charge of the it's it's all about decimating the systems in government 
that the American people are supposed to trust and have the reasonable expectation to trust. And make no mistake, this debt ceiling thing, it's political. This isn't about just being budget conscious. Again, because raising the debt ceiling is about paying past debts. And we raised 40% of the nation's debt in the last presidential administration. And uh, Democrats weren't in charge then. GOP House Leader Kevin McCarthy, he knows this. How do I know he knows this? Listen to what he says today versus what he says in 2017. Today... Democrats have floated changing the debt ceiling process so there's not... Are we going to spend more and more? Why do they want to raise this? Is to spend more money... What he said in 2017... When you raise the debt ceiling, that's actually paying for stuff that has already been spent. That's right. Did you hear that? I actually agreed with Kevin McCarthy... Well, the Kevin McCarthy of 2017 versus the Kevin McCarthy of today. They're literally sabotaging the United States of America, and they know that their base does not care. Back after this on America One Radio. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Monday. I uh, thought I'd point this out again. We had some breaking news earlier in the show. It was around 3 o'clock today, actually, that a partial crane collapse at the construction of an apartment tower at Spring and 10th Streets in Midtown, just off the downtown connector, injured at least four non-life-threatening injuries, we are told. However, that is uh, causing a bit of a traffic snarl as we go to record this show and let me make sure that I'm still seeing that that's a bit of a... Pro- yeah, it's still... Yeah, they're advising folks to stay away from that intersection in the near future. So it was uh, days ago that Governor Brian Kemp took out the veto pen and line-itemed some spending priorities that came out of the General Assembly. And remember, this is a GOP-led General Assembly. This is not a Democratic-led governing legislature. $200 million in spending that Kemp either cut or put on hold. Actually, no, I'm sorry, more than $300 million in what you would call spending cuts or holds. He directing uh, some disregards to some agencies to the tune of about $200 million. General Assembly passed a budget that included $26 million for retiree raises. Gone. $6.3 million for free meals for school kids. Ah, screw hungry kids. Gone. $6 million going towards bonuses for school custodians. Screw them. Gone. $4 million. Let's hone in on this. $4 million for pay increases to go to employees at psychiatric hospitals. Gone. A million dollars as well. For ag positions to help peach and blueberry and citrus farmers, gone. I want to go back to the $4 million for psych hospital employee pay raises. I mean, this is the actual defunding of the police, y'all. You're like, well, psychiatric hospitals, that's not police. Uh, However, there's a 10-month wait for psych evals in state prisons. 10-month wait just for psychiatric evaluations in the Georgia state penitentiary system. We just had a mass shooting in Midtown Atlanta from a a, a U.S. veteran who, according to his mother, didn't have the right meds, psychiatric meds. Sure, that's a VA letdown, absolutely. However, it's becoming increasingly clear that mental health is part of our gun problem 
Now, I would argue that anyone who collects semi-automatic weapons to brandish, I don't know where. I mean, I've seen people, literally, I have a friend back in Myrtle Beach, runs a gym, and he laid out all of his guns in the yard to take a picture of all the guns that he owns. And it took up his backyard. Sorry, Will, but that's kind of crazy. Little nuts. I don't collect much of anything. I, I collect some UGA stuff, some Brave stuff, some Falcon stuff. That's about it. But I'm not going to put it out on the front yard and take a picture and flex. I think there's, I think there's a correlation between what I call amosexuality and and uh, mental health. But I digress. In any event, is this not kind of concerning that? Every time we have a mass shooting, the right says, well, it's not about the guns, it's about mental health. And then Brian Kemp takes that veto pen and $4 million, no longer going to pay raises for employees at psychiatric hospitals. Well, that's always their pivot. And listen, don't argue with me about it. Brian Robinson, a Republican consultant here in Atlanta, said just that yesterday on Fox TV's The Georgia Gang. That airs locally, WAGA, Fox 5. He said that's the right-wing pivot after gun crimes, mental health. And then Governor Kemp cuts $4 million from pay raises for employees at psychiatric hospitals. Retention's a huge problem in the mental health, in the mental health industry. And... Even, even, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this. Janelle King, who, she's a lovely lady, I'm sure. She's super nice. I just always find myself scratching my head just about any time she speaks on that show. Even Janelle King said there seems to be a disconnect between handing out rebates while also making cuts, projecting for this rainy day. And maybe that's, maybe that's something to think about. Maybe Governor Kemp, seeing how the GOP... In D.C. is acting with the economy, this nefarious game of Russian roulette, knowing full well how it'll affect the presidential race, just knows that his own party up in Washington is going to tank the economy, and that's going to mean a recession, which is going to mean fewer tax revenues for the state of Georgia, which means he's sort of heading off the deficit at the pass. I don't know. He didn't stop the, the printers with the checks, though, did he? I mean, listen, I ain't mad. Give me some of my money back. That's fine. But I'd rather my money go towards, I don't know, how about that $4 million for the folks working in the psychiatric hospital so we can make sure that the folks who need the psychiatric care are getting the psychiatric care they need and not having unfettered access to a gander mountain to buy the next semi-automatic weapon to shoot up whatever the hell they're going to shoot up. To me, that's money well spent. If it means... I pay $50 more in taxes, so be it. I think that's worth it. Actually, that's not even all when it comes to mental health. Reading from the AJC article, the governor also told the Behavioral Health Agency to disregard $24 million in funding for mental health crisis centers in Augusta, Fulton County, and in Dublin, Georgia. Hmm. Now, when it comes to disregards, it doesn't mean that he's taking the money out of the budget. He's just saying, don't spend it. I may be coming back for it later. $24 million for mental health crisis centers here in Atlanta, Fulton, Augusta, Richmond County, and in Dublin, Georgia. But remember, 
after a mass shooting, well, it's a mental health problem. It's not a gun problem. The $6.3 million for free meals for school kids. Don't kids learn better, pay more attention? Don't we all when we're not starving? That's money well spent. What the hell? School custodians, $6 million for school custodians. The teachers got raises. The administrators got raises. Why are the custodians not going to get their raises? Especially when, in some cases, like in Tennessee, custodians are sometimes the last line of defense in a mass shooting because we cut the funding for the psychiatric hospitals that could have presented. See what I'm saying? Priorities, man. Priorities. And by the way, let me edit myself. Uh, I I don't want to go back and listen before I send this because we're running close to deadline. Anyway, I think I said close to $300 million in cuts. I'm wrong. It's $236 million in cuts, about 0.7% of the state's budget. Back after the break. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So every once in a while, I get to catch up with old friends and see what's up in their world. And I've been wanting to catch up with this guy for a minute. His name is Johnny McCoy. Johnny joins me to discuss the White Flag app, which, by the way, I've downloaded. It's on my phone. I've yet to use it, though. I'm not going to lie, Johnny. Only because, I, I don't know, I guess I've been in a good headspace lately. And I talk to a therapist routinely. But I like knowing that it's there. So without further ado, Johnny McCoy, tell us about the White Flag app and how you came to realize the need for it yeah no i appreciate it ron it's good to talk to you again you know uh we're social media buddies in that we keep up with each other Mm -hmm. through uh social media and your podcast and you know we just started our podcast on the white flag app oh cool um it's called white flag warriors um and in the first three episodes have been my story which I'll kind of, you know, do a little succinct story here for you. But basically, man, I'm just like a typical person. You know, I was born into a family of uh, mentally ill parents who did not and still to this moment don't consider themselves mentally ill. My father witnessed his grandfather take his own life in disdain in front of him uh, when he was a little boy. Uh, he was 12 years old and was going over to visit my grandfather who was living alone, just got to a divorce and uh, he discovered him in his bed with a note in his hand. And the saddest part was the whole thing that not only did my grandfather know that my dad was coming. Um, so he, you know, he knew who was going to find him, but um, my dad uh, was, was sworn to secrecy, told never to talk about it. Mm. You know, they called it a heart attack at the funeral and, yeah. So he never had any treatment. His, you know, I'm sure that there was some more things that happened to him growing up. And then my mom was molested as a child, mm. lost her father early. Um, and, you know, the mom was kind of absent and seven brothers and sisters, big Catholic family. Then they meet in the seventies at Disney, you know, kind of working their way up in the service industry. And, uh, they got married and had three little boys. And when you don't try to fix your own issues, what you don't transform, you transmit and then transmitted all that stuff through mm. their veins, through their bodies, through their minds into us. Mm. And I was born with generalized anxiety disorder and uh, panic disorder and some of these other issues. They just called me their worrier, you know, like, oh, this is our nervous son. Uh, but in reality, I, you know, I had some very serious mental health issues growing up. And then one day my dad hit my mom in the face with a bottle and watching my father be arrested and my mom, you know, being mangled in the face you know, it really did something to me. And, and most importantly, um, you know, it made me, uh, it made me realize that, um, 
you know, I was a little bit worse off than we thought. The problem was my family, they never, um, they never got me any treatment for it because mm-hmm. they didn't know anything better. And so I just kind of went on with life. And then the next thing, you know, uh, my mom becomes a full blown alcoholic. She's abusive to me. Then I leave for college. I find out I have Crohn's disease in college. And then, uh, you know, as, as one of those like hyper independent people, I, I went to law school and one you know, highest educated person in the history of my family. And mm-hmm. I have all these anxious issues about, you know, the police and watching my dad get arrested. And, you know, that's not something that you want to happen to you. And then one fateful evening in downtown Columbia, I was uh, falsely arrested for asking these police officers why they were arresting my friend and um, to teach us a lesson for saying that we were attorneys, which we were. Uh, they shifted us to general population by not turning our paperwork in on time. And um, during that elongated stay, I witnessed somebody take their own life. So I witnessed a suicide as well while I was in jail. And I can't tell you, man, like most people will tell you when you have panic issues, getting away, moving out of that area, wherever you are, going outside, breathing, just removing yourself from the from the trauma, from the danger is what you need. And for, for me, I was locked in a jail cell. The yeah. guy was like right there in front of me for hours on end. It was a crime scene. And turns out that the officers lied on their incident report to justify my arrest became like this, like, you know, this, my word versus theirs. I mm-hmm. found a hidden, Yeah. I found a hidden surveillance video video went viral before viral was happening. Lawsuit mate, you know, it reaches the headlines. And the next thing you know, I'm in a battle versus the city of Columbia uh, over whether or not I was right or they were right. And um, it went on for four years and it was bad. It was nasty. I ended up winning $300,000 the day before the trial started. The day they said that they didn't do anything, that the, the day they said they, they did something wrong was the day they slid the check across the table. Yeah. So I, I witnessed, you know, horrific from uh from a personal standpoint not from like reading it in a book Mm -hmm. what people go through what defendants go through what plaintiffs go through and so i took every dollar of that money i was working insurance defense at the time but i took all that money and i put it into my own law firm right and um so i started doing criminal law and civil rights law and you know i was hammering them in the courtroom because i you know i had the ability and the necessity to call people out when they were lying Mm -hmm. and in the south it's just not something you see in the courtroom man no you'll see you know attorneys and they'll be like well i gotta work with this guy you know i gotta i have thousands of cases with him i'm not gonna call him out on this and i did Mm -hmm. and at first there was a lot of pushback i got a lot of threats i was told you know this isn't this isn't an area that you need to be practicing law in one of the most conservative areas in the most conservative state in the union and then eventually, after I, you know, kept winning over and over again, eventually the word just got out. All right, don't lie or this guy's going to call you out on it, you know. And so heaven forbid um, <laughs> in our yeah, justice yeah. system. Right. Yeah. And so I, I started getting a bigger name. And then eventually I got started getting phone calls for really high profile cases because mm-hmm. they knew I I didn't give a damn. I would call you out. So I got hired on the Julian Benton case where. My client was shot at 29 times, hit nine times, point blank range, eight feet away, maybe even closer, over $100 worth of marijuana. The whole thing admitted mm-hmm. was over a $100 marijuana sale. And my client allegedly sold the $100 worth of marijuana to a 100% mentally disabled military veteran who needed it to sleep. Right. They kicked this, they kicked this guy's door down. 
middle of the afternoon while school buses were driving around, unloaded 29 shots into this guy's house. Nine of them hit him. He survives. And they turned off all their body cameras, same as in my case. And guess what? Another hidden surveillance video. This Mm -hmm. one showed that the officers didn't knock. They didn't announce. They weren't wearing police clothing. So long story short, we end up settling that case for a state record $11.2 million dollars in 2020 and this was right before george floyd so uh that was also right before COVID. so now i got this you know i got this this momentum we got a big attorney fee and then COVID hit and my mental health you know kind of like everybody else's took a plunge right it had already been bad you know Mm -hmm. ptsd generalized anxiety all the stuff that i had gone through but i was also on xanax and so uh long story short I said, well, you know, I'm not changing anything. All I'm doing is winning for my clients. Nothing was being changed. The officers in the Julian Benton case still work there. Mm-hmm. They still signed sworn affidavits. The judge found them to have committed perjury. These guys didn't even get a day off. Mm-hmm. They didn't even get a public recommend, nothing. And so I asked for one around the time of the George Floyd. I said, is there any way that the city of Myrtle Beach or any of these other uh, surrounding municipalities that had officers involved are going to admonish publicly. And they said, no, you got your check. That's all you need. And I said, all right, well, if I'm not making any change in the justice system, all I'm doing is helping my clients get their own personal justice, but I'm not changing anything. I need to do something that has more of an effect on the world. And so um, from my own issues, my own suicide attempts in 2018, my own struggle with finding somebody to talk to, I realized that there wasn't anything out there. And so I created a way you to instantly and anonymously connect with somebody else who's going through the same things as you that's all a white flag is it's an app it's a free app in the app store and it's what i needed during all this struggle all the stuff you just heard about the only thing i ever needed to hear was from somebody else to say i've gone through what you went through i made it out you can do this Mm. because when you go to a therapist like you just talked about they don't say that they read through the book and they say hey this is what you know could have blah 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 But when I got into treatment and I finally got with a roommate who was walking me through what it was like to withdraw from Xanax, walked me through what it was like to have, you know, these nightmares and cope with them the next day, you know, and then for him to be able to tell me, look, I I know exactly I know exactly what you're going through. The amount of times that you think about suicide, the amount of times where you think you can't make it. I went through the same thing. I'm here. And so it was that was the best medicine for me. And. You know, I thought that would be the best way to spend the money from the civil rights cases was to just flat out, you know, create something where people can find each other. And so that's what we got. That's where we're at now is all my time and attention is devoted to the white flag app and connecting the world. And we hit a viral video on TikTok last week or two weeks ago, and we ended up with twenty five thousand downloads from that one video. Nice. So people are responding. They, They like it. They think it's a good idea. And uh, one of my favorite reviews in the app store is my why. And it reads, um, you have no idea what this app means to me. It's the only reason I'm still here. Wow. And those are the type of the feedback and the, and, you know, the kind of uh, reviews that keep me going, even though I'm, I still struggle, you know, I'm on antipsychotics. I'm one of the best lawyers uh, people will tell you in the state of South Carolina. And I guarantee you, I'm the only one that admits that I struggle with my mental health and I'm on antipsychotics and blah, blah, blah. And that's, I'm also still, I'm also still great. That's, so. that's an important note too. I, I was just going to sit here and tell people for those who don't know, 
you know, John, Johnny is Johnny is a an affable, good looking fella. He's got a he's got his own law firm. I mean, you are on the outside the definition of success. You know, and you've got a lovely wife. You, you've got on the outside what appears to be this fantastic life, and it's it's a lesson for us all to learn that. What looks good on the outside, what we think looks fantastic on the outside, may not always be as fantastic on the inside for that individual. And so hearing people out and listening to their story and understanding that everyone has their own struggles, whether we know it or not, it's it's important to acknowledge. No, it's the, I mean, it, people talk about in the stigma and, oh, you know, I need to be in the fight. And my favorite is the reach out to me if you, you know, everybody needs to know that you can reach out to me. Um, you know, if you guys really want to make a difference, if you really want to make a change, I'm going to tell you the only way to do it or the most efficient way, uh, it's make the biggest impact. And that is sharing your own story yeah. with your wife, with your son, with, even if you don't have quote unquote mental health issues, yeah. you need to talk about the time where you couldn't get out of bed for three days. Mm -hmm. You need to talk about the time where. Uh, where you lost somebody and, you know, what grief felt like to you. You need to talk about the time where, you know, you, you like just the casual stuff that we all feel. But the people who talk about the thing that the, the, the things that are really difficult, like me, the past suicide attempt, trouble with addiction, trouble with alcohol. And you see me on the Today Show. You see me, you know, winning cases in the courtroom, you know, that are life without parole. People's lives are in my hands. You see that somebody's capable of doing these things and of being, quote unquote, mentally ill. That's the only way out of this thing. The reason that they're, they're so afraid to talk to you and to everybody else and even mention what's going on with them is they're afraid of being shunned by society or yeah. locked up for three days. Yeah. And the only way that we're going to beat this thing is if you guys start talking. So and if you might cringe by saying by hearing a guy who's a, you know, a founder of a of a startup that people rave about, that's got this incredible you know record in the courtroom and this good story and, you know, all this. Other stuff. But I want you to when you when you think about and you hear these things from me, I want you to remember this was done by somebody who was extremely mentally ill. Right. I don't care what you say. I've been, I, you know, going going through my mental health issues. And being to where I am today, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I'm comfortable with you saying, you know, he, he, he I, I heard from a guy who's very mentally ill, who's mm -hmm. doing great professionally. I mean, it's just like it's, it's if I had cancer. Yeah. And, and and, you know, I was doing great. You wouldn't be like, oh, my Lord, like, how is he doing this? Well, you would just be like applauding the mm -hmm. entire time because people are able to function normally, quote unquote, while they're dealing with deadly diseases which is what mental illness is which is what cancer is and uh we should it should all be treated uniformly i mean it, i didn't do anything to acquire ptsd mm. I, I was born with it and then my surroundings happened and made it worse so you know why should i be so ashamed why should i be so embarrassed the people who hurt me damn sure aren't embarrassed they're you know they could care less so, so let uh, me tell you what i love about white flag first of all in, in a country where uh, medical bills uh, lead to bankruptcies, and that uh, in and of itself causes its own mental struggles. Yeah, uh, you know this. This is something that anyone who needs it can obtain it, and there's no cost involved for it. And that's something that I find particularly pleasing and want to shout from the top of mountains and rooftops. Download this app. Log in, sign yourself up, answer a few questions, and you're set. 
if and when you ever need it. And you never have to worry about the cost. The cost is what keeps people from going to seek preventative medical care and preventative mental health care as well. Yeah, no, you're right on the money. And, you know, uh, it's not, it, I mean, you said it perfectly because it is, it's 24 seven. There are very, very little hurdles for you to have to get out, get on the app and begin talking with somebody. And after all of the stuff that I've been through, all the treatments, all the options, talking has been the, the most beneficial thing to me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're talking to a therapist, a psychiatrist, a physician, or somebody else who's been through it. That's called peer support. Yeah. What matters is that you start your journey and you just start you know, having these conversations. And on White Flag, you don't have to jump straight in and say, I'm struggling with this, this, and this. You can go talk to somebody else who's saying, I'm struggling with this, this, and this, and you can just be there to support them, learning about their issues while you in turn learn about your own yourself until you're ready to start talking about your stuff more intimately. But the truth is, you know, people who are struggling with mental illness are incredibly lonely. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people are just lonely in general, but people with mental illness are incredibly lonely. 24 hours a day, you can anonymously get on white flag and have a real conversation with a real person who needs it, who needs to hear from you, who needs to know that there's empathy and other people out there. You don't just have to be related to them. You don't have to be paid. You don't have to be trained. It's true. It's within us. It, and, and it's what makes us a, separate from the rest of the species on this planet is that we, we do things for each other without anything expected in return. And it feels great. It helps us. But that's not why we do it. There's some sort of internal longing to be there for each other. And that white flag provides you the space to do that. So if you're out there and you want to know how I can get in the fight, you want to know how I can, you know, uh, help truly combat the crisis, white flags on the front line. Just sign on. You don't got to put your real name in there. Just an anonymous username. You don't have to put your address or anything crazy like that. And you can immediately begin, you know, combating the crisis by being there for somebody else. Let me ask you this, Johnny, though, uh, you know, if I have, uh, you know, some big pocketed donor who wants to say, you know, I really want to get behind this. I'd like to I'd like to to support it in some kind of way. Is is is, is that does that avenue exist or is there any way that, you know, yeah. folks can? Yeah. So the best thing for you to do if you want to you know, be, on, be along the journey along the way is to follow our social media for um you know for different ways where you can participate whether we're going to end up doing crowdfunding here soon okay. or you know whether we announce a fundraise or whatnot uh, but yeah no that's a great question i appreciate it the best way to do that is to just kind of follow us on our social media for updates okay all right and how do uh what, what's your give, give us your social media handles for those who don't yeah yeah so we're everywhere at white flag app okay. app uh, you know, we, um, we're on TikTok, we're on Instagram. We post daily on every channel, Facebook, Twitter. We're even on LinkedIn because people are in those places and it's people that are struggling with mental illness and need this. So we go where everybody is. Uh, so yeah, follow us along at white flag app. Um, our podcast is on Apple podcast, Spotify, you know, it's a, 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 um, a, a more, uh, more involved conversation about my mental health, mm-hmm. about our users' mental health, some of our team members. We're going to talk about ketamine on there. We're going to talk about mushrooms, all things that I tried during my journey. So follow along with the White Flag Warriors podcast as well. That's good stuff, man. Well, listen, Johnny, it's good to catch up with you. I'm sorry we haven't done this a whole lot sooner. I love you, brother, and uh, I love wish you all the 
best. But Ron, you've always been real. That's what they say they like about me is, you know, I got the whole spar, but you know, I've always appreciated that you've kept it real, not only with your users, even in Myrtle Beach, you know, you bring us along on your journey and it's just, you're just a wonderful person. I'm glad to call you a friend, man. Same here, buddy. Thank you so much for the time. Absolutely. Of course. Welcome back. Last segment of the Ron show for Monday. So I took last Friday off and the Friday before, I'm trying to think what I did the Friday before. Oh, I went to New Orleans. That's right. And last Friday I took off. Why? Oh, that's right. Because my high school baseball team was playing in the 3A state championship in Rome, Georgia, which was just, you know, close enough for me to go. Yeah, I can do that. Let's go do that. And I want to thank my Dominican buddy Ludwig for going with me. I'm, I don't want to sound like a feeble old man. I mean, I'm only 49 and single if anybody's out there. Uh, but I don't like taking long road trips to sit for a couple hours and then take another long road trip. You know what I mean? That's, eh, I, my mind wanders. I get distracted and uh, tired. And I could have probably stayed with uh, some family in Cedartown. But I, eh. so I went last Friday to watch my high school baseball team, the Harlem Bulldogs, take on the Ringgold Tigers. Ringgold was like 45 minutes from this ballpark, and Harlem was like 197 miles, I think I looked it up, 197 miles from the campus of Harlem High School to Rome's uh, minor league baseball stadium. I want to say it was about 50-50. Crowd-wise, there's probably about 2,700 people there. I think crowd-wise, it was about 50-50. I mean, I was sitting on the Harlem side, obviously, so maybe my perception skewed a little bit, but it seemed like it was about 50-50. Student sections, both of them raucous. Loved it. I mean, the atmosphere was fantastic. I told you about my Dominican friend, right? In Dominican baseball, they have cheerleaders on top of the dugouts. There's always like vuvuzelas going off, and there were tons of vuvuzelas at this one. There are always, you know, noisemakers, et cetera. It's very raucous at a Dominican baseball game. My Dominican friend was really impressed with the atmosphere. Oh, and by the way, Harlem won the first game, five to three. Won the second game. What was the second game score? Three to three to two, two to one. It was a one-score game. It was a, just a fantastic ball game. Awesome, awesome ball game. I also have to say this. I, I sat near a lady. Turns out she's the mom to uh, number twenty-four, Jeremiah Hamilton. She got fed up watching her son strike out back to back at bats without so much of a swing at a pitch. I mean, he just stood up there and watched. Strike three twice. And I didn't say anything about it because, I, I, you know, there are parents around. You don't want to like. Anyway, when it came time for Jeremiah to hit again soon, she went right down the stairs to the front row near the on-deck circle where her son was waiting to bat. Now, he knew that she was there. He could sense it. But he wasn't looking back at her to acknowledge that. Nevertheless, as Elizabeth Warren would say, she persisted. He tried waving his hand to brush her off. You can always hear him saying, Mom, stop. I got, I got this. Go. Go sit down. Well, she stayed. He finally looked back. She had her say. I'm not entirely sure what she said, but when she came back to our row, we all kind of chuckled a little bit, and I said, Don't sweat it, Mom. Your kid's going to be a hero tonight. Well, I'm not taking any credit for this, but I was right. He eventually scored after legging out a bloop single to short right field after her little trip down to uh, encourage him. His... Uh, was the second run of the second game, a game Harlem won. Yeah, right, 2-1. to one. He was the winning run. He'd had some disappointing at-bats to that point, but a little tough love and his own determination paid off, and now he can say he's a champion forever. Mom's proud. 
I'm proud. Harlem's proud. The lesson learned here is don't brush off mom's encouragement. Anyway, that's going to do it for The Ron Show. I am back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. here on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. And you can catch the podcast on all the major podcast platforms. And we've got the links for you at ronshowatl.com.